Hello and welcome to Instant Transmission, a podcast where we discuss everything Dragon Ball and when is it okay to eat a sentient creature? The Red Ribbon Army's dastardly deeds continue as we take on General Blue in tonight's episodes. Episodes 43 through 57 are on the docket, so settle in as we dive into more original Dragon Ball content. I'm your host, Dayton, and once again, I'm joined by my co-host, Todd. Hi. And since tonight, we'll be continuing from where the last episode of Dragon Ball coverage left off, I'd highly recommend that any of our listeners out there make sure that they're caught up on our previous episodes of Original Dragon Ball. And with that out of the way, are you ready to dive into the General Blue Saga, Todd? I'm ready. I think we'll do our quick recap here. And speaking of our last episode, last time on Instant Transmission. Goku left the World Martial Arts Tournament Arena to find his grandpa's Dragon Ball. This time, he had two competitors searching for the magical orbs, Emperor Pilaf and a new foe, the Red Ribbon Army. After fighting over one ball and knocking Pilaf off the trail for a while, Goku found himself frozen in a snowstorm. A young girl, Suno, found Goku and took him home to warm up where he learned the Red Ribbon Army had enslaved the local village to help search for a Dragon Ball. Goku assaulted Muscle Tower, the base of the Red Ribbon Army, defeating dozens of soldiers and elite military combatants. He even made a friend in Aider, an android originally created to be a weapon for the army. With Aider's help, our hero saved the village chief, put an end to General White's tyranny, and destroyed Muscle Tower. And that brings us to today's episodes. Which starts off at Dragon Ball episode 43, Bulma's House in West City. And this episode begins with Goku and Aider spending the night at Suno's house. Goku announces his plan to walk to West City so he can get Bulma to fix the dragon radar for him. In the morning, Goku bids farewell to the village and mentions that his flying Nimbus was destroyed. The elders of the town recognize what a flying Nimbus is and ask Goku to just try calling for the Nimbus. After a mighty call and a tense delay, our friend the flying Nimbus flies back on scene. Sometimes this show is just so freaking wholesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we kind of got the impression that Nimbus was toast and Goku basically just calls for flying Nimbus and here it comes. So it was kind of neat. It was neat that they added into the lore that these elders knew about the flying Nimbus clouds and that there are more of them than just Goku's. So it was cool. Yeah. They mentioned that they're really rare and they, they actually know something about it. So it's not, it's something that exists in the world, right? So the world just feels a little bit deeper, a little bit more, I don't know, tangible. Yeah. Yeah. I liked that little detail. And with the flying Nimbus now available to him again, Goku uses it to head to West City to find Balma in order to get the Dragon Radar fixed. Because when we left him last time, Dragon Radar was broken since he keeps it in his shirt while he's fighting. Yes, and I felt that this was kind of an excuse to get the crew back together. And I'm fine with that. It's The show's better when we have all of our main cast together. Yeah, definitely. It, it's definitely a reason for him to go find Balma uh, and basically the rest of our cast. But I actually like this part in the episode because Goku reaches West City and he is like a fish out of water. He's we all know that he is basically like this 
uh, backwoods, born and raised in the country. And so he almost gets hit by a car in the big city. Uh, he it, it ends up being uh, there ends up being a taxi that picks him up because he's kind of like waving his arm out. And then he doesn't know that he has to pay for the taxi there eventually ends up coming across a street fight. So he, he kind of finds as he's asking for Balma that everything costs money in the city. And so he finds that this street fight, uh, this, this fighter is basically beating people for money, but if they beat him, they win 100,000 zenny. And so Goku decides to participate. I also feel like this fighter is inspired by Jet Li or Bruce Lee or something like that. It seems like it's a very Hollywood rendition of what a martial artist is. And so I did kind of enjoy that little bit of a touch. He's got, you know, no shirt on. He's buff. He's got the the thing around his head. And he's basically putting on a show the whole time. And even when Goku steps in to fight him, he's like making fun of him. And the crowd is laughing. And it's just it's very performative. Oh, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I think Goku basically ends up breaking the wall and he doesn't even he, he hits the guy once and then breaks the wall, missing him. And the guy gives up. He's like, this is too much for me, man. I'm out. You can have the money. <laughs> and, you know, this whole time that Goku's walking through the city trying to find a way to get to Bulma. He's just asking people, random people in the street in this huge metropolis. Hey, do you know where Bulma's house is? And to me, that is just hilarious, because can you imagine showing up in, like, New York and being like, hey, do you know where Steve's house is? What, <laughs> what the hell are you talking? Get out of here, kid. Like, it's yeah. great. Yeah, I love it. I mean, the only the only thing he has in his court here is the fact that Balma, even in this world, Balma is an unusual name. However, he does eventually find a police officer who he asks if the officer knows who Balma is. And the police officer uses a, some sort of electronic device where he looks up three different Balmas in the city. Uh, but fortunately, he has a database where he has pictures of them. So he shows one that is not our Balma. And then the second picture is Balma as we know and love. And so the police officer takes Goku to Capsule Core where he can find his friend. And this is where we kind of find out that Balma's kind of a big deal. When the police officer brings up uh, Balma's profile in his little database, it blows his mind because this is one of the most wealthy families in the area. And this is where we find out that Balma's dad actually invented the dino cap. And that's where their fortunes came from. Yeah, those are good details. I It's funny because having watched Dragon Ball Z and just knowing so much about Dragon Ball, I almost take that information for granted. But I think that this is kind of the moment where it is revealed to the audience for the first time how significant Balma's family is, uh, as well as, I mean, why she's so smart, why she has all these dino caps, why she's able to create the dragon radar. So that's a that's a good point to bring that up. Yeah, and this is just kind of a, I mean, it's a good, I guess, character building episode for Goku, seeing him in a much different environment than we're used to, and also him being there by himself and trying to navigate the big city as a, well, somebody who's from the woods, from the mountains. Yeah, I agree. Out of these three episodes that we're going to cover that are kind of filler, this one I actually like. I like that this builds a lot on the world. It lets us know a lot about Balma. It I mean, continues to let us know more about Goku and express 
what it looks like when he's in an unfamiliar environment. So I think they did a pretty good job with this one. And I think that takes us for the most part to the next episode. Yes. Which is episode 44, Goku friends and tons of danger. And this one starts off with Goku and the police officer trying to page for Bulma at her house. But I actually like this little detail. She's actually currently at school and won't be home for a while. Because it kind of, it's kind of a shock because it's like, oh, wait, hold on. She's like 16. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, in addition to the fact that you're like, oh, oh, this world does have traditional school that children go to. <laughs> <laughs> they all don't don't just live in the mountains. Yeah, yeah. Or go on adventures seeking magical orbs. <laughs> so we get uh, Goku telling the police officer, it's fine. I'll wait for Bulma. It's cool. And the police officer actually mentions, well, hold on. I just led you to this very important person's house. I'm going to kind of keep an eye on you because I got to make sure you're up to no good. And I did like that little detail. It's pretty funny. The The police officer is like, uh, you could be a murderer, you know, trying to stalk this woman or something. I don't know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but Bulma does eventually fly in on her jet bike, which is hot pink. She's got style. That's right. She kind of clears up the situation and Goku explains that, hey, he needs his dragon radar fixed. But also the policeman needs his bike fixed. So Bulma agrees to basically fix everything. Yeah. And... We we kind of get led into Capsule Core where we meet Balma's father, Doctor. I think he can be called either Doctor Brief or Doctor Briefs, but he's he's this older man, and he seems. I mean, he's just kind of goofy, honestly. He's not Master Roshi levels of goofy, but for a for a knowledgeable scientist, he's just very down to earth. Yeah, and a little bit eccentric. He fills his mansion capsule with unwanted animals and things like that. And the entire main floor is almost like this foresty garden area. It's it's very not normal. Yeah, maybe down to earth is not the right way to describe him. But <laughs> <laughs> he's he's not exactly what you would expect of a a very knowledgeable scientist, I suppose. Yeah, but... Bulma does agree to fix the radar, and she fixes it up pretty quick. Um, she also reveals that she has a new invention. It's a watch that lets her shrink her size. And this is this blew my mind because I, I did not expect this to just kind of come out of left field when this happened. Yeah, and it's it's kind of crazy. I mean, we see a lot of different, I mean, gadgets and technology between like the the capsules and uh, i mean just different powers like the kamehameha and you know other magical powers but and i mean it it makes sense if you think about the the capsules themselves because in in a way the capsules are shrinking everything down to a tiny size right so this watch is just kind of doing that to a person yeah that's just a weird thing to just be like oh also i invented uh shape shifting <laughs> <laughs> Like, no big deal. <laughs> mm -hmm. We also find out right here that uh, Bulma and Yamcha are not getting along because Yamcha has a gaggle of hot girl groupies. That's right. Women are pining after the sexy Yamcha, apparently. And so Bulma's not <laughs> too pleased about that. But I think we kind of move forward with the... We find the Red Ribbon Army is sending a thief or assassin after goku named haski and 
we find that uh, she she makes her way to the city to search for Goku, and she's kind of asking around, getting information about her target. Yeah, so we know Goku's being pursued, and we know that the Red Ribbon Army has been more or less tracking Goku's Dragon Balls to kind of keep an eye on him. Right. So that's they more or less narrowed down his rough location, and she's there to kind of, I guess, pin down the exact location, get the Dragon Balls, and then if she kills Goku, that's just a bonus. And then she'll get out. But from there, um, we see Balma shrink down, jumping into Goku's shirt, and they fly off on the Nimbus to see the city. They run across Yamcha, Oolong, and Puar, training at a village square. And yeah, we get some Yamcha, Bulma not getting along, yelling at each other, but they decide through all this stress that they're going to go have a nice relaxing day and they're all going to go to the theme park. Yeah, a little bit strange, a little bit of conflict, but they're all going to the theme park uh, for the most part. I think that wraps up that episode. and takes. Us uh, the the announcer man who does the intro Ooh. and outro for the episodes made me laugh because I, too, enjoy puns. <clears throat> Goku and his friends prepare to spend a day at the amusement park, but with a dangerous criminal like Paskey on their tails, the price of admission also includes a ticket to danger. <laughs> I totally overlooked that, but that's fantastic. <laughs> oh, man, I was getting ready to play the next episode, and when he said that, I just lost it. <laughs> I love that writing. Sometimes it's so over the top, it feels like it's just meant to be a joke. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's part of the reason why you can appreciate things like that in this show. It, yeah. It's not hiding what it wants to be. Oh, yeah, we'll we'll have more about that later. too. <laughs> but that does lead us into episode 45, which is Watch Out, a Mid-Air Trap. And we get the gang of heroes at this point. There's a whole bunch of them mm -hmm. making their way through what I can only decide or describe as a acid trip of a park entrance to begin it's, their day of fun. <laughs> it's wild. I mean, lots of colors, lots of I don't even know how to describe it, but they basically need uh, tickets to get into the, the park. And while Balma is able to get them tickets, Haskey has to steal some tickets uh, to get in with her. She basically has two thugs or two goons with her. Mm -hmm. uh, and eventually enjoying the park, we get Haskey pretending to be a damsel in distress with these thugs kind of attacking her. And I think our heroes come in to save the day. Yeah, and she's kind of using her feminine looks to get in close. Yamcha, of course, is just turns into liquid when it comes to a pretty girl. And she offers a free fortune telling to our heroes for saving her. And so she pulls them off to the side to this private little area inside like a Disney castle to give them all free fortune readings. but. There's kind of a plan to this. She basically convinces them to show the Dragon Balls through her fortunes. And then the plan is, is once the Dragon Balls are revealed, the lights will flip out. She'll replace them with false Dragon Balls. And then, bam, they've got everything they need. Yes. And private area is the appropriate way to word this, considering... The way that she describes this fortune to Goku is you have two balls that are very important. Oh, I forgot to you, about that. Hidden in your clothes. And so Goku mm. says, here they are. 
and drops his pants to show his balls. <laughs> I will say I was completely caught off guard by that. <laughs> oh, man, I saw it coming a million miles away. I was like, no way they're going to do that. <laughs> I don't think my brain could have wrapped it itself around that idea. I mean, well, it's one of those things where it's a kid show, but also here are Goku's balls. <laughs> like, to me, I was like, uh, my brain was immediately like, yeah, yeah, two balls, exactly. And, <laughs> but I didn't think they would actually do that, and they totally did. Hmm, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, after showing one set of balls, they show the other set of balls, which are the dragon balls. And then the, I guess the trap is sprung? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Uh, basically, Yamcha ends up uh, holding, I think, oh, Goku chases after the two thugs who I think ended up getting the Dragon Balls. And then my notes are sparse for this because this is just gets ridiculous. Yeah, but... mine are too. This is, well, like we said, these are kind of fillery episodes. So we're trying to just uh, get through them. Yeah. Uh, eventually, I think um, Hasky attacks Yamcha. Uh, Yamcha, oh, you know what it is? It's, the, the thugs don't steal the balls. Um, they they run away, and Goku thinks that they're causing trouble. And so Yamcha holds on to the Dragon Balls, where Hasky tries to hit on Yamcha and steal the balls from him. Uh, basically, then attacking Yamcha, but also kissing him, where Balma sees them kissing. And then Hasky kind of, uh, I think, beating up Yamcha escapes with the dragon balls yes uh bulma throws a fit seeing only the part where yamcha is being kind of kissed on by another girl she i believe hits him with a crate and then leaves and pasky kind of jumps on that momentary weakness and kind of finishes off yamcha by hog tying him and stealing the dragon balls and then she plants a bomb inside the amusement park hops on a little jet plane and then flies out of there um so we have a bomb, we have Pasky with the Dragon Balls, and we have Goku, who returns and says, hey, I'm going to go catch her. He jumps on his Nimbus, and off he flies. Yeah, and flying after her, Pasky is distracted by him as he's yelling at her to give back his Dragon Balls. And she ends up flying the car into a building... Uh, exploding the car, but Goku is able to save her with his power pole, and he grabs the remote for the bomb. Uh, the the bomb, however, does not go off. Uh, Goku ends up tickling Hasky to retrieve the balls from her, and that pretty much wraps up the story. Balma then it leaves with Goku to find the rest of the Dragon Balls, so that she can get herself a new boyfriend. Yep, the adventure of Balma wishing for very selfish pity, or not pity, pitiful things, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Continues. Petty. petty, that's what I was looking for. But yeah, that brings us into episode 46, Balma's Big Mistake. And we get Balma and Goku making their way through the skies atop the flying Nimbus which Goku discovers can go faster. So we get a Nimbus level up right here. Um, all the while, they're being tracked by the Red Ribbon Army. Goku is following his radar to a secret island controlled by the army, where General Blue 
will be waiting for him in Balma. And so this is where we get the first kind of hint at the next big baddie. Yeah. And this basically, we, we get a little bit of uh, scenes with the Red Ribbon Army tracking Goku. Uh, Goku headed to an island that the Red Ribbon Army is searching and Commander Red demanding that Goku be killed. And we actually then get a scene with General Blue, who is excited to take on Goku. And we find there's a little scene that's really not that important, but it characterizes General Blue, where there's a soldier who's picking his nose, and General Blue has the man executed for (laughs) picking his nose. So it, it just, you know, it's showing that the Red Ribbon Army is further these evil bad guys yeah and it's i think it's trying to paint general blue as this ruthless commander he's even worse than the other commanders that we've come across yeah absolutely and i think that kind of takes us to goku finding that the dragon ball is underwater uh and yeah say it's they fly over it and the location is actually like in the middle of the ocean and there are some nearby islands. And so Bulma suggests that they stop on the islands because she saw a fishing boat nearby. And so maybe there's inhabitants or a store or something that she can stop at because she forgot all of her dino caps. And so she's capless. Yeah, I think she actually ended up for, or she grabbed her caps, but they ended up being her father's. And she opens up the capsule, the single capsule in the container, and it's a bunch of nudie magazines. Yep, all old men are perverts, every single one of them. That's uh, in the Dragon Ball universe, apparently. <laughs> but yes, so after discovering that they brought nudie mags to go search for the Dragon Balls, Goku decides that he's going to j- jump into the ocean and see if he can swim to the bottom and get it anyway. Well, Bulma decides to kind of explore the nearby island to see if she can find any shops or stores or basically civilization. Right. And Goku basically fails to get to the bottom. He runs out of air, so he comes back up, but he can't find Bulma. Uh, And we kind of cut to Bulma where she's being shot at by these planes with the Red Ribbon Army symbol on them. Uh, they they basically tracked Goku to the island, and they thought that Balma was the kid that they were looking for. Yeah. And we get kind of this little pursuit of Balma's or just opening fire on her, which that's a great strategy to just shoot anybody who's nearby. But Mur- it, it is children. the Red Ribbon Army. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so they, after a moment, they kind of stop and they realize, hold on, this is actually like just a girl. And so they kind of stop and they jump out. And I'm pretty sure one of the soldiers in those planes is Jace's voice actor. Yep. And they kind of, for real? <laughs> I I didn't check, but I'm pretty sure the voice was the same. It's got to be. But anyway, so uh, soldier, Jason is soldier days and his soldier buddy <laughs> um, jump out and they start getting kind of creepy with Balma, you know, saying like, oh, well, we'll make it better. Oh, yeah. And Balma is really not having any of it. And so another chase kind of starts happening. Yeah. Bulma basically runs away from them as they are uh, wanting to get handsy. Uh, She ends up kind of losing them through a, like a little dip in the land. Uh, And then as they uh, kind of continue their chase, 
uh, Goku ends up saving Bulma and he basically comes in when the soldiers have gotten back into their planes uh, and they begin firing at Goku now, now recognizing the actual kid that they were after. And they have a, a short but cool little action scene where Goku kicks one of them through the glass of his airplane, kicking him right in the face, and then uses his power pole to destroy the other plane. I love it when he breaks things with his power pole. It just it makes me happy. It's very satisfying. I mean, he's done it to a lot of planes in the air, like flying on Nimbus with his power pole, but it's pretty fun to watch. It is a lot of fun to watch, but they take care of their pursuers and they decide that they're probably the best thing to do is to swing over to Roshi's Island, which is somewhere nearby. And he might have an answer to their issue with the Dragon Ball being at the bottom of the ocean. And that's more or less where this episode uh, tails off. Yeah, I think that takes us to the next one. Which is episode 47, Kame House is Discovered. And we get Goku and Bulma arriving at Roshi's Island. And after reluctantly shutting off his smut on the TV, Roshi comes mm -hmm. out to greet the two. Uh, Roshi decides to trade his submarine for Bulma's size-shrinking microband. And a lot of this episode is Roshi kind of being pervy with the microband. Yeah, my notes are honestly pretty short with this. He trades the microband for them to use the sub, but I think Krillin and Launch have the sub presently. Uh, and R Roshi quickly, Roshi tries to use the band to peek on Bulma in the bathroom. So we understand why he wanted the band, uh, but he ends up falling into the toilet and getting flushed. Yes, and not smelling so good when he comes out. But there's there's going to be a lot of Roshi with the microband trying to get like launched to use the bathroom or take a shower or Balma or whatever throughout the next few episodes. And I don't have a lot of notes on it, but understand there's quite a bit of it in the next few episodes. Yeah, I skipped a lot of it in my notes, too. But basically, he's being a perv as per usual. Uh, and Krillin and Launch at that point end up returning with the sub. and we find that the Red Ribbon Army is trying to track down Goku uh, as they want to find his base of operations. And we kind of get the impression that they are misconceiving the island where Roshi lives as his base. Yeah, after uh, or deciding to scout Goku's base using the, uh, the dragon radar to kind of figure out roughly where it is, um, they basically figure out where Kame House is, but they also have passed the word along that Bulma is working with Goku. And so Bulma is now on the list of people that they're looking for. But after kind of figuring out that, all right, here's the base, we're gonna we're gonna do something about it. Um we get Krillin and Pan arriving back on the island with Roshi's sub. Um the group begins mapping out the location of the dragon ball that they're looking for at the bottom of the ocean and the location reminds krillin of a pirate's treasure that's buried somewhere in that area that roshi had told him about and krillin decides to accompany bulma and goku on their submarine adventure yeah and really that pretty much wraps up this episode i think actually the only other little detail that i have here is that General Blue, as the Red Ribbon Army finds Kame House, they believe that 
Master Roshi was the one who designed Goku's radar, which I thought was a funny <laughs> little mix-up. I love that because you know that's going to come into play. Oh, yeah, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. That leads us into episode 48, which is General Blue launches his attack. And he, right off at the beginning of the episode, he gives the order to invade Roshi's island and to take the Dragon Balls and the old man, who is likely the scientist that invented the radar. So right now, invasion forces are going, and they think that there's this helpless old scientist on this island. Yeah, and while that's happening, Goku, Bulma, and Krillin dive into the ocean, and they end up finding a cave where the Dragon Ball is located using the radar. And the Red Ribbon Army, I kind of went through this pretty quick, but the Red Ribbon Army ends up deploying soldiers in a large submarine to follow Goku's sub to that cave with the Dragon Ball. Yeah, and upon reaching the cave entrance, the Red Ribbon Army reveals itself, launching a torpedo attack. Now, luckily, the torpedoes miss, but uh, our trio of heroes are pursued by the Red Ribbon Army deep into this cave, deep under the ocean. And the walls slowly start shrinking in as they're going through there, and the Red Ribbon Army is no longer able to use their giant attack sub. Yeah, they end up sending out two escape pods that are roughly the same size as Goku, Bulma, and Krillin's sub to pursue them. And really, that mostly brings us to the end here. I had a couple of notes just about a lot of this stuff in this episode. It it, it has slow pacing. It takes a while to actually get it anywhere. But there is some interesting characterization for General Blue uh, where he at one point backhands a soldier for no reason, more or less. They basically like kind of tried to sneak up on him, uh, which again is showing, showing us what type of person he is. And there's another moment where he tells one of his lieutenants to lose weight, which I was like, <laughs> Oh, Oh, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Well, also the guy who missed the uh, torpedoes, General blue executes that guy. That dude's yeah. dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, they're, they're making sure that we know what type of person General Blue is here. And I did have one other thought, too, where the chase scene with the submarines is interesting to me, if only because this scenario or this environment with the the water makes Goku far less effectual. Goku basically can't be the solution to all of their problems in this environment, which I I, I think that's pretty fun. I like that part about it. Well, I mean, it's the same thing with like, it's interesting to see Goku in the big city because it's not his environment. It's nice seeing Goku in an area where he's not just dominant. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I agree. I think that pretty much takes us to the next episode as it continues the sub chase. Yes, which is episode 49. Watch out, Lunch San. I think I said that annoyingly enough. <laughs> that was great. I loved it. But anyway, uh, the submarine chase continues, as does Roshi being pervy. Um, but the shenanigans are cut short when the Red Ribbon Invasion Force arrives at Roshi's island. And I was excited about this because they think they're just going to go take this old scientist onto their ship. They have no idea what they're in for. I was really pumped. Uh, the first half of this episode is basically a bunch of pervy stuff with Roshi and launch. The second half, though, I agree. I was super excited to see what happens here. 
I, I cracked up too when they arrived, and the first thing Roshi says is, "Who are you? I paid my taxes." <laughs> <laughs> There's some great dialogue in here as the the soldiers are basically saying, like, you know, we're here for the Dragon Balls. Like, we found the the woman inside. Uh, we've, you know, we've got you outmanned and outgunned, and my favorite dialogue here is right before this gets physical where the lieutenant says give me the balls and roshi responds with you're lacking in the ball department <laughs> <laughs> i was like oh oh that was that was a fun little like 90s burn <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah there's some smack and it's funny because some of the smack talk is i don't know it's just you don't hear anything like it anymore where it's just it's different yeah, it's pretty fun. And that is basically leads us right into Roshi clobbering these Red Ribbon Army soldiers. Like, they don't even have a chance to fire on him. It's fantastic. It is really good. They do fire on him because he catches oh. the bullets in his hands using, I don't know, like mantis arms. I, I don't, it's really cool. <laughs> You're right. I put that in my notes too. He basically dispatches pretty much all of the soldiers except for that last one who gets the chance to fire off with, it's like a machine gun and Roshi just snatches all of the bullets out of the air. Really cool shot. I like that a lot. I mean, they're messing with the master and the fight's over relatively quick, which honestly it should be like he's the master of his martial arts style. I love how confident Roshi is, too, throughout this entire exchange. Like, he is not worried about these soldiers at all. It, it was a lot of fun. It's in, gosh, Roshi is just such an iconic character. Anytime you see him doing something, it just, it warms my heart. Yeah, I mean, th- this whole episode has a lot of Roshi, which is funny because I don't like the first half of the episode. It's just pervy Roshi. Like, it, 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 we could not have it in the episode at all, and we'd be better for it. But this second half, with him being a martial arts badass, this is one of probably one of my favorite scenes throughout most of what we've seen of Dragon Ball so far. I really enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun, and it reminds you that he's the master because they spend, honestly, way too much time on him being a perv, and we hardly get any time with him being the master. I mean, the World Martial Arts Tournament was probably the best example of him being the master, but For outside sure. of that, it's there's not a lot. Yeah, yeah, I agree. A lot of times he's... Honestly, he's treated as the butt of the joke more often than not. Uh, treated as kind of goofy, even treated as incompetent and, you know, getting beat up on or whatever the case is by launch or by Balma or whomever in the moment. Um, but we do kind of get a, a moment here where one of the soldiers actually takes launch at gunpoint and Roshi's kind of, you know, it, in a, a tough spot and so turtle takes a plant that he uses to tickle launch's nose to make launch sneeze and launch becomes her own savior after she transforms yes we get destructive blonde launch who just not only kicks the crap out of the soldier that has her at gunpoint but has to be held back by i think roshi to keep her from basically like curb stomping him to death. Like she yeah. is just out for blood. Yeah. From murdering this guy, which I mean, I wouldn't feel bad. Deserved it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that takes us to, it kind of flips back to Goku, Balma and Krillin with the red ribbon army ramming their sub. And 
They do, however, manage to escape into an air pocket in a little cave, getting a little bit of a head of the Red Ribbon Army soldiers. And eventually in the darkness, they end up finding a light switch, which seems strange to them. Uh, just like, why would there be a light switch in this random cave in the middle of the ocean? But they also then find the skeleton of what seems to be a pirate. It seems to be, seems to be a pirate. The skeleton with the big skull and crossbones hat and um, the cutlass and, I don't know, sea shanty inspired uniform. I mean, you got me. It's about as stereotypical pirate as it gets. So I'm willing to say that we can confirm that this is the pirate hideout. And they're all kind of excited about the fact that they just came across possibly all the treasure they could ever imagine. Yeah. And I think we end the episode on a beat where the Red Ribbon Army also finds that there is some sort of treasure down here. And that kind of takes us to the next episode. Which is episode 50, The Pirate's Trap. And we get Balma, Krillin, and Goku continuing through the pirate base, but are eventually greeted by this big room with all these buttons on the floor and floor and holes in the wall. And they very quickly find out that this is actually a trap left by the pirates who once owned this base. And so they're kind of at this stopping point where they need to figure out how to get past these traps without stepping on the floors that trigger these arrows that come out of the walls. Yeah, and we do, they basically end up jumping across, or at least Goku decides, I'm going to jump, which he does. He clears it. I think Balma says it's something like 50 feet. And then Krillin decides he's going to jump with a little bit less success as he kind of bonks his head on the ceiling and then hits one of the buttons at the very tail end. And then they tell Bulma to jump. Yeah, and she's less than thrilled about it. And in typical Bulma fashion, just starts chewing them out. (laughs) And from here, we get this kind of comical scene where Goku has the power pole extended across this big, wide gap. And Bulma's just hanging on for dear life, screaming at Goku to not, you know, retract the pole so fast and to stop shaking and just basically giving Goku hell for helping her out. Yeah, and they they make it past the trap. However, our General Blue and his soldiers are not so lucky as General Blue comes upon his soldiers who charged ahead of him and they are all shish by these spears. Yes, so at this point we've got a pile of red ribbon soldiers full of arrows and it's now just down to General Blue. And what I do like about General Blue is he put on his thinking cap and said, all right, there's no way the pirates went through here. So there must be a secret door. And within a minute, he finds the secret door. He could have saved, you know, how many lives, but now he finds the secret door. Yeah, yeah. General Blue is very selfish, but he's also clever. So it's it's interesting to see him find this secret tunnel that evades the trap. And we cut back to our heroes as they enter into a dark tunnel and they find lights coming from the eye sockets of 
a pile of skulls. And this ends up being a pit trap that drops them into a room filled with lava. But they are just barely able to escape using the power pole once more. Yeah, and Krillin is almost launched into the lava for hanging onto Bulma's little short shorts for being a pervert. And I'm glad Bulma's priorities are where they need to be. <laughs> I don't care about your life, Krillin. Stop staring at my panties. <laughs> but yes, during this uh, near disastrous event, um, we get General Grievous taking the secret passage and he steps into a pool with an ele- a giant electric eel in it and is being shocked. And General Blue, using just, I don't know, pure muscle, muscles through the electricity and actually grabs the electric eel and just snaps it. Yeah, yeah. I, I do have to point out that you called him General Grievous, and I couldn't tell if you did that on purpose. No. Or if that was... <laughs> uh, Grievous, Blue, whatever. It's all yeah, the same. It's practically the same word same number of letters and everything hey more often than not if i'm saying general i'm going to be following it with grievous okay i mean that's that's fair he's kind of a badass (laughs) but yes so general grievous blue Mm -hmm. chokes the eel to death and we cut back again to our heroes who enter into a vast open room that seems to be a, a port of some kind with a giant submarine and a couple of other smaller submarines And we eventually get Goku saying like, he feels like they're being watched or tracked. And this scene, I really like this scene because it reminds me, I even put in here in my notes, I put enter cell because it it feels very much like the scene when cell first appears in Dragon Ball Z, because we get a couple little snippets of like this creature kind of moving in the dark and we even see like a little snippet of its tail and it, it it starts off just very creepy it's only it's probably only 10 15 20 seconds but i i like the way they set it up you know and um there's a lot of similarities you could draw towards what's watching them and sell too you could probably make a lot of comparisons between what they are oh yeah absolutely as we get the reveal of the creature what seems to be this hulking robot machine pirate skull faced monster with a tail. I don't, it's, I don't even know how to describe this thing. It's got a gun for an arm and a sword. <laughs> I mean, when I first saw this thing, the first thing I thought was, well, shiver me timbers. <laughs> and we're going to get a lot of that. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this whole episode, it felt very strongly like a D&D dungeon or something like that, where you've got all these traps and these ancient enemies and stuff like that, or ancient uh, ruins. Oh, yeah, yeah. I I loved it for that reason. It's This one feels very fun. I liked it a lot. I think, uh, I think we pretty much end on the reveal of this creature as it attacks our heroes with sword and gun. <laughs> we do, and that brings us straight into episode 51, The Ocean Bottoms Guardman. And I love this robot because throughout the entire time, and I don't know if it's the worst or the best voice acting for a robot I've ever heard. It's just saying cliche pirate lines like Ahoy or Shiver Me Timbers or Yar. I love it. It's delivered in a complete deadpan with some sort of (laughs) robot filter over it. And it's 
all of the stereotypical things that you would expect to hear from a pirate. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny too, because the actual like shape of the robot is actually kind of spooky. It's almost yeah. like a combination of both a robot and an alien from the aliens movies with its long head and it's kind of spindly arms. And, and it actually has a skull for a face. Like this thing is, I mean, realistically it's kind of creepy, but instead of creepy, it's like, ahoy. <laughs> it's totally creepy and it's strong too it has goku and krillin running away from it as it's chasing them with both its gun and its sword and eventually it it's kind of weird to see goku running honestly here but eventually they turn around and they begin attacking it and this is a really cool fight in my opinion where it's one of the first team fights that we see in dragon ball i think where goku and krillin team up and coordinate to fight this creature yeah we get scenes of them kind of like kind of moving together in lockstep kind of switching back and forth and we get this tag team fight against what is actually a really powerful opponent like right off the bat they're landing some really serious blows on this thing but it doesn't seem to be really affected by them and so the combined might of the two is one really cool to see but two the opponent is actually stronger than that yeah, yeah, which is impressive. So we see, I think Krillin ends up snapping the, the creature's sword. So the creature punches him in the face and resorts to its gun. And we get Goku trying to take the creature away from his friends by just running away from it and kind of evading the bullets. And eventually Krillin and Balma get onto the ship and decide we're going to fire the cannon at the creature. <laughs> I, I do want to say some of the scenes here are actually animated very, very well. Goku running down the catwalk with the bullets kind of exploding behind him while he's drawing the attention of the creature, the way it's kind of skating across the water's surface and like stopping and firing at the same time. I thought, I thought this was very well animated. Some of these scenes in here. So it's funny because I agree with you, but I also had in my notes that there's lots of repeated animations because oh, they, yes, they repeat. It's a very good animation, but they used it a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. They cycled through that running animation multiple times and the shooting animation multiple times. And they, even when Goku was going back the other way, used the same animation and just flipped, just flipped it. it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. It was one of those things where I saw it. I was like, that looks great. And then they did it some more and like, Oh, I mean, it still looks great. I just wish yeah. you would have done more. Right, exactly. Uh, I just, I felt like they were filling the time with that cool shot that they did. But they, I mean, they spent time on it. They're going to use it, damn it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anyway, like you were saying, um, Bulma and Krillin jump on the top of this big ship and they aim the cannon at this thing and they blast away. And uh, their aim might have been a little off because they actually hit Goku instead of this pirate robot. Yeah, and they they also blast the wall behind Goku, which is going to have some ramifications here coming up. But the, the the robot, too, is fast. I think it dodges their first shot. And, I mean, this thing is strong, so it's interesting to see them have to fight such a intimidating opponent. And eventually, the robot uh or goku tries to attack the robot with his power pole trying to help krillin and balma and 
this is one of the few times where we see the the robot catches Goku's power pole and chucks him off away into the distance, which I was like, wow, this thing is really strong to be able to do that to Goku. <laughs> yeah, but fortunately for Goku, while he was, let's say, distracting the robot, Bulma actually jumps in a truck and drives it at the robot, diving out just a moment before impact and actually knocks the robot into the ocean below. Man, I when I saw that scene, I kind of laughed because, it, I mean, just seeing Balma hit this robot with a truck is comical, but it's also badass. I was just like, I was so torn. I was like, I don't know how to feel about this. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, she's using real world solutions to real world problems is the way I would look at it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, she, I mean, she successfully knocks the thing into the water, crashing it up against the, between the truck and the, the ship. And we see a, a, an explosion inside the water. So it seems like the robot has been dispatched. Yeah. We kind of get this momentary calm and they're kind of collecting themselves and kind of figuring out what they're going to do next. But this, this victory is cut very short when we see this little tail kind of slither out of the water grabbing Goku by the ankle and dragging him under. Turns out the robot not done fighting these these guys, them's guys. And no. we get Goku once again being electrocuted, which how many times has that child been electrocuted at this point? As a lot. Uh, we could probably count at least four or five at this point. Dumb Goku makes a lot more sense after watching Dragon Ball. <laughs> <laughs> they just fried that brain. <laughs> it's done. 13-year-old brain. <laughs> yeah, that, that little 13-year-old brain is just overcooked. That's right. But Goku eventually is able to rip the end of the tail off of this robot and he leaps out of the water however he he does fall and kind of get crushed by some of the rubble that was created from the blast that balma and krillin shot and so i think that takes us to it gives us a little cut of general blue who's been watching this entire fight and while general blue thought that he was dealing with a couple of lucky children he expresses that these guys are experts these guys are very very talented martial artists yeah and i also want to point out that this is a freaking action-packed jammed full episode there's a ton that's happening well specifically with this robot that they've encountered this episode yeah it's great i i really enjoy this one and we also get a, a little scene where it seems like somebody is watching all of them at maybe some sort of control console with monitors uh, but then it kind of cuts back to the action where Krillin and Balma are running from the robots while Goku is now buried beneath the rubble. And they end up running into this command center, but it seems like there's simply a dead body at the command center. Yeah, and Bulma hits the dead body with a bucket. We can confirm that it's dead. And Bulma hatches a plan to try and, I guess, hack into the database or the control center and maybe find a way to turn off this robot. And uh, turns out that plan doesn't exactly work as the robot catches them mid-action and starts just flamethrowering everything. But luckily they are saved by a Goku who happens to be just hanging out nearby atop his power pole. And so they were able to escape the, I guess, the death room that was the control room. 
sliding down to the safety of the ground, but Goku remains kind of up in the air waiting for the robot to reveal itself. Yeah, and this is going to be Goku's flying punch to the robot's head, where he uses gravity to assist him, punching through the robot's elongated noggin and exploding the robot, finally dispatching it. It's, I mean, this is a really fun episode. I think this is just a good episode to watch. Yeah, I I loved this episode. I liked the uh, I liked the enemy. I liked the action. I uh, everybody here contributes including Balma. Like it's it's really well done. Yeah, and with the the end of the robot comes a explosion of the robot. And at this point it seems like the base is beginning to crumble. And so our heroes decide that they need to escape. We get Bulma and Krillin diving into a what looks like a little well that they find deep in the labyrinth of tunnels within the base. And they begin swimming. And not far behind them, uh, General Blue comes across this same well and dives into the water behind them, hot in pursuit. Yeah, and that's that's kind of wrapping up our episode. I think the only thing there is that General Blue misdirects Goku kind of redrawing an arrow that Krillin had drawn on the ground for him and gets Goku to run the wrong direction. And one other detail I want to back up just a little bit that we kind of passed over because it's a quick little scene that I think will come into play later, but we, we cut to a scene of commander red as he's receiving a report about the treasure and about the progress of general blue and he's having a portrait painted of him. And while we see that Commander Red is fairly diminutive, his General Black is, is quite large in comparison. And the portrait, however, shows them reversed in terms of body type. So General Black is fairly short, and Commander Red is portrayed as large and commanding, if you will. It is absolutely a painting through the lens of ego, just appealing to Red's ego. And I don't know why, but it kind of cracked me up when he showed the picture. And Red is like this giant, like, you know, handsome, intimidating looking general sitting in his throne. And then his big, you know, uh, partner there is actually this little short guy standing next to him. It's it's pretty hilarious. And I mean, Commander Red is pretty pleased. And uh, I mean, General Black knows how to cater to the commander's needs because he says, oh, it looks perfect. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> I I didn't take any notes on that, but it was funny. Yeah, it's it, the good thing is we haven't gotten to the point yet, but I think it's doing some foreshadowing for us coming coming up in the next set of episodes. So I just wanted to make sure that we covered that briefly. Which I think that leads us into episode 52. Hooray! The treasure is discovered. And this one starts off with the base just continuing to crumble as Goku kind of realizes that he's in trouble and he needs to escape. But also, he's thinking about Bulma and Krillin and he doesn't want to leave them behind. So he's kind of caught in this, I need to get out of here, but at the same time, I don't want to leave my friends behind. Right. And... 
I'll be honest, this episode bounces back and forth a lot, so I almost feel like it's going to be easier to cover what happens to Goku and then what happens to Krillin and Bulma. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's going to be the best way to do it. And so with Goku, he kind of continues running down these tunnels looking for either a way out or his friends, and he ends up in this dead end that actually opens up to a trap door, and Goku is, well, dropped down to Octopapa. Oh my god. I love, love the dialogue (laughs) for this octopus. The very first thing he says when Goku drops onto his head is groovy, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so good. All the lines. Octo daddy. Yeah. (laughs) I I just, I couldn't stop laughing. Oh, I loved it. It like... Toy animation, if you could do all your dubs where they're just over the top ridiculous like that, uh, I would be so happy. <laughs> God, wasn't there a um an anime that was basically the script was just given over to the voice acting team or something like that? And they were told they could do whatever they wanted with it. Oh, and yeah. So, OK, it's I d- uh, shoot. I'm totally forgetting the the name of it. It's like ghost ghost stories. I'm pretty sure that's what I it's think called. that's a, I've seen some clips of that and it is freaking hilarious. It's fantastic. And I, I actually, I just made a mistake. I said toy animation, but Funimation doing the English <laughs> dub. If you guys could do all of your dubs that way, excellent job. 10 out of 10. Oh, yeah. God. If they would have dubbed Super that way, oh, buddy. I would have died. <laughs> would have been fantastic for uh, Goku. <laughs> I mean, they had a little bit of that. We're like, oh, I forgot my tractor. <laughs> And then making fun of, I will never get over the fact that uh, Piccolo and Vegeta have the exchange where they make, I think Vegeta makes fun of Piccolo's acting. (laughs) Ah, Chris Sabat, you cheeky son of a bitch. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. Some of those jokes. I mean, at this point, it's I'm enjoying it as an adult, so I'll I'll take it where I can get it. Yeah, it's great. But anyway, back to Octo Daddy. Um, (laughs) So Goku is kind of getting slapped around by this giant octopus and his attacks are kind of not working. The octopus is too spongy and soft. And so Goku's not really even able to land really any serious blows on him. In fact, Goku even tries throwing a rock into what he thinks is Octo daddy's mouth, but turns out his mouth is a little lower. And so after kind of just getting beaten around, Goku's getting ready to be eaten, and he says, hey, let me show you one last thing, and we get to see the good old-fashioned Kamehameha wave, and in one technique, uh, well, Goku has all the octopus he could ever eat. Yeah, yeah, we get a fried octopi, and, I mean, Goku is always hungry, so. What did you think about the, the Kamehameha here, Dayton? I know that you said that you were kind of looking at each one and judging the the visual for each one. I mean, it's, I think it looked fine. It didn't look special, um, which a lot of the Kamehameha's have been special, but I feel like as we go further into the show, they're kind of losing a little bit of that luster. And so with this one, it just, I mean, it was fine, but at the same time, it's kind of a, a silly boss and it's kind of a, I don't know. It, it's there. It exists. I don't hate it. I don't love it. Yeah, that's a fair point. It's, you know, it's not a significant win for Goku, I suppose, but which makes sense why it, to me, I felt like the Kamehameha was very lacking in this shot. So it's, yeah, it's a little mini boss. I mean, it takes Goku 
minutes to finish this fight. So, oh, well. Yeah, and I don't know. At this point, just the how difficult a fight is is just up in the air at this point. I have no idea how to judge what is going to be a difficult boss. And even if it is a difficult boss, I have no idea if it's going to be just a, well, here's my trump card and I win again, or if it's going to be something else. Right. And then sometimes they are more like a slapstick boss, which is kind of this guy. I mean, he he was beating up Goku for a second, but it's also kind of like a goofy situation. Oh, nobody messes with Octodaddy. Octo Papa. <laughs> but anyway, with um the Octo Daddy now fried up and Goku munching away, um, he hears what's going on with Krillin and Bulma. And what's going on with Krillin and Bulma, you ask? Well, they eventually swim through this well, almost to the point where they were basically going to drown and eventually find an area where they can surface. They are greeted by a not-so-happy guardian statue with several arms with swords. Clad in only his underwear, Krillin picks up his swords, or picks up a sword and begins doing battle with this guardian statue that seems to be attacking them. Yeah, it's it's kind of fun. It's a little silly, but Krillin is basically able to deflect these swords that are being fired from this statue, and he eventually takes his own sword and chucks it directly at the statue's head, sticking it in the forehead and dispatching the statue. I don't know how the statues work. I mean, <laughs> hell yeah, it's kind of badass. Krillin can throw swords. Yeah, it was, I mean, it's cool. It's definitely <laughs> a cool win for him. But with the Guardian statue more or less defeated, Krillin and Bulma uh, come across three chests that are near it, and they decide to look through the chests and the first chest they open is booby-trapped as this little toy thing pops up with a gun and starts firing. But luckily, Krillin's pretty short, so all the bolts go over his head. <laughs> I think Balma says something like, man, if you were taller, your head would have been blown off. <laughs> Absolutely. But they eventually find a key in one of the chests, and they find out that the key fits perfectly into the base of the Guardian statue, revealing the pirate treasure that's been hidden this whole time. And it just spews out of the statue's mouth. And all I could think as they were showing this was taste the rainbow. (laughs) (laughs) Rainbow. (laughs) But before they can claim their rainbow prize, uh, General Blue reveals himself and claims this bounty for the Red Ribbon Army. Krillin steps forward, ready to fight. But for the first time, we get to see a Red Ribbon Army general not going down so easy. Yeah, and that's kind of what Goku heard going on is we get General Blue stomping Krillin. I mean, we kind of missed the the very initial exchange, but we come back to the fight where Krillin is already beat up. Uh, General Blue is easily dodging Krillin's attacks and then delivering several counters of his own. Krillin eventually uses the afterimage technique. That I he... loved that he used that. That made me so happy because he's been training with Master Roshi for a while now. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was going to say that he learned in the tournament, but he technically wasn't one. He didn't show it or learn it in the tournament. He saw it in the tournament, but maybe he learned it from Roshi afterwards. Uh, and it allows him to land a kick on Blue's face. And this makes Blue very angry because... His face is very pretty, and he doesn't want it messed up. 
I think he mentioned something along the lines of like pouring oil on the Mona Lisa or something like that. The way he describes his own fate, he like he is self pitying so bad in this one moment, but also losing his mind. Yeah, it's great. It, it's an excellent, again, more good characterization of General Blue and what type of person he is. He's very, very selfish, very vain. And uh, we do get to see something really special from General Blue, something that we haven't really seen from any of the other Red Ribbon Army members. He looks at Krillin, and you see almost like this bluish energy kind of pour out of him, and we see Krillin kind of lock up in place, and we find out that somehow General Blue is able to paralyze people with his gaze. And in Krillin's weakened state, we see Krillin just kind of getting beat around the room, just like kicked up against the walls and just basically just destroyed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at that point, Krillin can't move. He's more or less just a living, breathing, punching bag for General Blue. And Balma tries to jump in at, at this point. She basically is trying to seduce General Blue, and he's not having it. He is not interested in Balma at all. And so he goes to pick up a rock and prepares to crush Krillin's head like a watermelon. Yeah, um, that would have been a gruesome death and not very fun and may have taken a few a few of those. But thankfully, before Krillin can be smashed by a rock, um, Goku arrives on scene just before the final blow is is landed. Yeah, and... Fortunately for Krillin, uh, he does not get crushed. And I think that that pretty much is where we end the episode. Yeah, that kind of gives us a little bit of a cliffhanger here. And I do like that for the first time, one of the Red Ribbon Army generals is actually a threat. Like, I'm looking forward to this encounter. Yeah, yeah. General Blue definitely seems competent. The, The cool thing here, and I know... Well, I know Krillin's your your fave, but I like the fact that they use Krillin as almost like a like a measuring stick for how powerful General Blue is, because we know that Krillin, while he might not be at the same level as Goku at the tournament, Krillin was close. I mean, they were they were neck and neck if Goku might have been just a smidge above him. And so for General Blue to be wiping the floor with Krillin, that's very telling for how powerful he is. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting opponent too, right? It's somebody who, one, I think has a great personality. I like General Blue's personality. He's a very, I like disliking him, and that's a good thing. You should feel that way about your villains, right? And yeah. also, he's not just Magoo. He has like his his skill set, he has his special power, and he has his his style, the way he goes about doing things. And so it makes him just kind of a really cool villain to watch, Jiren. (laughs) We're looking at you. (laughs) (laughs) I did want to point out, too, unrelated to that, but at the very, the last scene in this shot, or in this episode, where Goku arrives just in time, I mean, a little bit cliche, but his entrance with the music and everything, it, it put me in tears. Like, it, it's silly. Like, I knew Goku was going to show up and save the day. But it's just, it's so good and it's so nostalgic for me, too. I love it. It's like Goku saving the day. Hell yeah. What, and 
doing it OG style. There's no yeah. just he's overwhelmingly powerful, even though we've seen a number of that so far. It's he's still a kid and he's fighting just everything is a threat until I know it's not as far as I'm concerned in Dragon Ball. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think for the most part, unless you had anything else, Dayton, that takes us to the next episode. Yes, which is episode 53, Fear the Shining Eyes. And Goku and Blue are kind of throwing one-liners at each other, getting ready to face off. And it's pretty quick. After only a couple exchanges of words, they begin their battle. And we get what I thought was a really cool kind of cinematic panning around them, kind of in a circle which on a 2D screen, awesome, panning around them in a circle as they're exchanging blows. I really liked that little flair to the animation in this fight. I totally agree. I, I think right before they start exchanging blows too, we get a shot of General Blue kind of like bulking up, almost like Master Roshi style, which I thought was kind of fun. And like you said, they're kind of exchanging verbal barbs there. But yeah, the... The animation for the action here is really it's really well done. It's very dynamic for for being such an old show. Yeah, and that's kind of what I look for at this point is we don't get like, I guess, the end of Super where you had like two or three episodes, maybe even at the end where it was just like mind blowing, just animation throughout. In Dragon Ball, you're getting like these little snippets, these very carefully planned little scenes that you really need to take the time to appreciate. You're not going to get at least up until this point, 20 minutes of gorgeous animation. You're going to get some really well done brief exchanges, little sequences that you have to stop and appreciate. And this little pan around, this was one for me. Yeah, I totally agree. We basically get Goku kicking blue in the face. He ends up punching blue in the gut and knees blue in the back of the head throughout this sequence. And Blue doesn't end up landing a hit on Goku here. And I one of the lines from Goku that I just got a really big laugh out of was him saying, boy, you sure do kiss the ground a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Punching him in his perfect face and bruising his ego. Goku, that's just cruel. I mean, savage, like <laughs> pour some salt in that wound. Yeah, but, you know, Blue is powerful, but at this point, Goku just seems to have the complete upper hand. And so after getting struck in the face one too many times, Blue is pissed. And this is where he decides to whip out his little paralyzation technique or whatever you want to call it. And once again, we see one of our, our heroes defenseless, but this time it's Goku. And yeah. Just like Krillin, Blue proceeds to smack Goku around, pummeling him mercilessly. And we actually see Blue pull out a gun and threaten to execute Goku. Yeah, yeah. Basically, the cave around them is beginning to fall apart. And so Blue decides that he doesn't have any time to waste now. So he pulls out a capsule, which pops out a shotgun, which I thought was just, <laughs> just neat. But... He says, tell me where the Dragon Ball is or I'll blow your friend's head off, <laughs> which is savage, man. It's crazy because there are definitely a adult themes to this show, but also sometimes there are very childish themes and I'm kind of all over the place. I'm like, all right, well, that's a gun, but we've seen lots of guns and they're kind of comical. Is this one comical? Because that dude just executed two people up until this point. So maybe it is, maybe it isn't. 
it's and that's what I said earlier in one of our episodes of covering Dragon Ball, where it it almost feels it's tough for me to determine to determine who this show is for because <laughs> the tone is like all over the place in terms of like what I would expect for a certain age range. Like there's child childish themes. There's you know all these wholesome like stories and thoughts, and then there's you know kids getting shot at with guns and potentially people getting murdered so it's it's wild how many different themes we have going on here. i don't think it's an age range i think it's like specifically 16 years old i probably <laughs> i need to go back and be 16 again and watch it oh god maybe not oh <laughs> but yeah so he threatens to blow goku's head off unless he gets the location of the dragon ball Bulma decides, okay, yeah, like, here's the location of the Dragon Ball. Leave him alone. And General Blue's like, okay, cool. I'm going to blow his head off anyway. Yeah. And so as he gets ready to pull the trigger, not Bulma, not Krillin, but our savior here is a mouse. Praise be. Praise be. (laughs) So we get a little mouse that runs onto the scene and we see... General Blue kind of throw his arms up in the air and start panicking like a little schoolgirl or something. I don't know what it is, but yeah, he does not like mice. Yeah, it's wild. So he he basically unloads the gun up into the ceiling as he's kind of running <laughs> away from this mouse. And he loses concentration on his, his paralyzation technique on Goku. Uh, but realizing that he's lost it, he tries to place the technique on goku again but goku is not having any of it yeah we see goku kind of leaping into action now that he's free of his ensnarement and we see blue just get knocked clean across the room well sorry pokes his eyes out and then knocks (laughs) him clean across the room remember goku's a kid yeah and i love this because this is his you know him using his rock paper scissors technique where he gives him the scissors to the eyes and then gives him the rock right to the face i'm like that's (laughs) fantastic uh but at this point general blue seems like he's kind of defeated at this point but the cavern that they're in is just completely collapsing in and so balma and krillin decide they need to get the hell out of there and so they decide to start making their way towards a the submarine, the docking area to try and grab a sub to get out of there. But Goku says, I'm not giving up. I'm going to make sure I get the Dragon Ball from this area before I get out of here. And so, yeah, with the cavern collapsing in, we get Goku diving to the bottom of this treasure well is the only thing I can describe it as, as Bulma and Krillin make their escape. Yeah, and... Goku eventually diving down to the bottom of this treasure well finds the Dragon Ball inside the mouth of a skull and he ends up releasing it from the skull swimming back up to the surface where the cave is falling apart around him and then it seems like he's looking for something else and it's we're uncertain of what he's looking for at first um and actually, oh, you know what? I think that. Oh, yeah, he he finds the the little mouse. And oh, God, in. this is OK. The mouse at this point, I'm off team mouse. OK, all right. 
So Goku grabs the Dragon Ball and he gets back up to the surface where he more or less defeated Blue. And he's like, I got to get out of here, but I don't want to leave my mouse friend behind who saved me from General Blue. And so he takes this rodent and sticks it in his mouth so that way he can swim through the water with the mouse and make his escape. It is disgusting. I'm against this show. Not for kids. I'm not going to lie. I fucking love it. <laughs> I, oh, my God. A little mouse tail hanging out of his mouth as he's running around. Yeah, it's very Goku to do something like that. It just feels like, you know, to us, it's like, oh, that's gross. But he's a fucking wild child from the woods. Like, <laughs> Just he should know not to put mice in his mouth. He needs to be more sanitary, not less. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. But the mouse saved his life. So he's repaying that debt. Oh, man. God. Ugh. 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 <laughs> Imagine a little mouse hands on your tongue. <laughs> when you put it that way <laughs> but yeah um goku dives into the water with his mouse friend and we get uh blue kind of waking up from his well goku induced sleep and kind of noticing all the treasure and glory around him and he kind of takes a moment to bask in it yeah and I, I put a note in here, not really knowing what happened to him next, but I put right before he dies because the whole place collapses around him. You know, it. I agree with you right before he dies. Absolutely. What should have happened? I, uh, <laughs> I'd love to know how the heck he, uh, you know, uh, well, we'll see. Oh, yeah. Well, I think that more or less leads us into the next episode, right? Yeah, it pretty much does. So that's episode 54, Run Away, Run Away, The Great Escape. And we get Goku running through these collapsing hallways with a mouse in his mouth. Disgusting. <laughs> and he eventually comes upon uh, Bulma and Krillin. Bulma, who was getting ready to leave Goku there, by the way. Yeah, she was like, we're ready to piece the fuck out. <laughs> Sorry, Goku. <laughs> but Goku, luckily enough, arrives just in time, and he jumps into this little pirate submarine, and they begin kind of racing against the clock to navigate through all these underwater passages to get out of the collapsing tunnels. And that is when the submarine that they took, the pirate submarine, runs out of fuel. No. And so we get this kind of brief moment of panic where the everything's collapsing in around them. They're at the bottom of the ocean and they're out of fuel. And so Goku decides, you know what? I got a plan to get us out of here. Krillin, I need you to look after this mouse for me. Disgusting. Oh, my mouse. Also, it was in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> And this is where we see Goku kind of like turn towards the rear of the submarine and begin launching a Kamehameha wave, which was rightfully freaking out Krillin and Bulma. This is awesome. <laughs> I, in my head, I was thinking, I was like, okay, what options do they have to get out of here? And it, in my mind, I was like, well, they've got the Kamehameha, but that seems dangerous. And then Goku... Ka <laughs> Honestly, when it was happening, I had no idea what the plan was. I was like, is he just going to blow a hole through the, the caves or something and they're going to swim out? Nope, I, that was wrong. No, they fucking rocket themselves out <laughs> of the caves using the Kamehameha, which is, you know, to be fair, we've kind of seen, we saw Roshi do that in the tournament. He launched himself back into the arena when he got kicked out of it, so... 
and it makes early, sense. Early on in Goku's fight with Frieza, he actually uses uh, a key blast to launch himself away from one of Frieza's key blasts. So yep. we've seen this happen multiple times, and you're right, we've seen it before this point, and we've seen it after this point. Consistency. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is not something we always get in Dragon Ball, but in this case, we do. It is, however, I mean, this is wild because he launches him them with the sub out of the cave all the way up to the surface of the ocean, <laughs> <laughs> which is like, you know, it, it's an extravagant feat, right? But as we've seen, uh, especially with Goku beating up Blue, who demolished Krillin, Goku has gotten much stronger, even just since his time in the tournament. So it makes sense. Yeah, but you want to know what makes less sense? What? Um, so they make it to the surface, and not long afterwards, we see oh. <laughs> General Blue just kind of poke his head up out of the water. He's also fine. <laughs> you know, I kind of like him like in the next scene, but at the same time, I was like, how the... What? <laughs> like, okay, so you they could have just swam up, I guess? <laughs> Apparently, I maybe he had some other way. I mean, they, I guess so. They... Okay, they don't show it, but they did allude to this way earlier on when they first enter that big docking area with the big boat in it. Bulma mentions that the pirates did not have capsule technology, and so in order for this big boat to come and go, there must be another way out of this base. So I will at least give them that, like, there's their escape line. If that's what he did, cool. Just one little scene of him finding it would have been great. That's fair. And that's, I actually didn't make that connection, so that's a good point. But, yeah, I mean, there there are ways that he could have gotten out of there. Even, I mean, we saw him with a, a capsule shotgun, so he could have had another capsule with him. I mean, that, who knows? All I'm saying is you had this freaking bombastic escape, and then just General Blue is just like, well, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Guess I made it too, guys. No big deal. Mm -hmm. Like, why'd you guys have so much trouble? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so General Blue is fine. Um, he's still stalking our heroes. But upon making it to shore, we find out that Balma didn't leave empty-handed. Yeah, Balma shows... Uh, she, she begins rummaging around, and she's... At this point, she's basically wearing a shirt and underpants. So she begins rummaging around in her underpants and pulls out a giant baseball-sized diamond that she took from the treasure. And the the line that Krillin says when she pulls that out, I mean, I have to say it <laughs> you because do. it's just so ridiculous. But she pulls that out and Krillin says, Oh, I thought I was going to have to start calling you Mr. Bulma. <laughs> Buzzing. Uh, genital jokes. Can't yep. get enough of them. Nope, not in <laughs> Dragon Ball. That is for sure. <laughs> but anyway, so the giant diamond is revealed. And um, yeah, so they didn't leave empty handed. And we get a scene where they're kind of rummaging through this nearby island through the red ribbon kind of uh, stores. Goku mostly just looking for food because he's hungry, as he always is. And they come across the communications room where Commander Red is trying to speak with one of his subordinates who goes into hiding once Goku enters the room. 
we kind of get this comical exchange between Goku and Commander Red as they're kind of screaming at each other, kind of talking over each other's heads through over the intercom. Yeah, and so I mean, Goku thinks that the this machine that's talking to him is a person, so he kind of crawls up onto it. And Commander Red is is angry. He hears Goku's voice coming through the comms, and he starts yelling like, "You know, give me a report. What is going on, soldier?" And Goku's not having any of it. He's like, hey, stop yelling at me. And he just starts punching and destroying the machine. (laughs) Commander Red mentions like, do you know who you're speaking to? And Goku's like, no, I don't. (laughs) It's a great, like, just this exchange, this perfect exchange of this commander of an army who's used to being treated with respect and this ignorant child who grew up in the woods. (laughs) It's just such a good exchange. (laughs) It's pretty funny. So after uh, talking to Commander Red, our heroes grab a couple Red Ribbon Army vehicles or whatever and jump on board and start making their way back to Kami House or Kame House. And we, one, see that General Blue is in hot pursuit. He's not letting this thing go. And the other thing we see is that Bulma's showing for the first time what I can only describe as kindness she mentions to Krillin that she's going to give Master Roshi this baseball-sized diamond as compensation for the submarine that they had borrowed and lost. So I made a note about this earlier before she did that because I thought it was interesting that Balma cared so much about treasure considering her family is basically rich. So this part where she says, I'm just going to give this big-ass diamond to Roshi makes more sense to me because what does she care about money? Her family has so much money. <laughs> I mean, that's absolutely fair. If if she was poor, she would not be giving up that diamond, right? Like I think oh, no. everybody agrees with that. Absolutely but not. What I do think she cared about is the, um, I guess the magnificence of that diamond in particular. It's from a pirate base. It's huge. It would draw attention. And something that draws attention to Bulma, she even says, wouldn't it make a great um, wedding ring? That's something that I kind of get. It's more of a an ego boost than it is, I need this money. Right, yeah. It's more like a status symbol than anything else. Exactly. But I think you're right. If she wanted a baseball-sized diamond, I'm sure she could just go out and buy one. Uh, probably. I'm sure <laughs> she can get whatever the heck she wants. Mm-hmm. Maybe, and, you know, she's maybe it's her father who has most of the money at this point but she's as we know later she's gonna have a lot of the dollars yeah and well and i guess also with kind of her tense relationship with master roshi she seems like the type who would be like you're not getting anything because i don't like you yeah yeah honestly i kind of see it too with her giving this to roshi as a way of her being like hey i did you a big solid with that diamond and maybe you won't ask me for pervy favors in the future <laughs> i think you hit the nail on the head with that one this is the pay off the old man and hopefully he just leaves me the hell alone yeah absolutely and so we basically get <laughs> i did not have expect to have that big of a discussion around the stupid diamond <laughs> <laughs> i didn't either but it's it has a lot to do with balma's character you know it does so. it absolutely does that's funny yeah there's a bunch of different ways you can look at that as but anyway we should probably keep going um so, um, uh, Balmer, Balmer, gosh, this is going off the rails. Um, Balma and the crew <laughs> arrive in Roshi's Island and Balma does offer Roshi the, the giant gem as compensation for the submarine. 
And it's all kind of short-lived as Mean Launch comes home and decides that she's going to make off with this diamond. It is hers, it is nobody else's, and actually holds them all at gunpoint. Yeah, yeah, she she takes the diamond. Uh, I mean, we've seen, you know, Mean Launch robbing banks and stuff, so this makes sense, but she takes the Red Ribbon Army plane that Balma used to get back to the island as well, and, I mean, they're just one diamond short, but that is when... General Blue also arrives at Kamei House and like some sort of paratrooper without a parachute <laughs> jumps onto the island from his plane. He's like, this and... game doesn't have fall damage. <laughs> yeah, apparently not. Uh, and Master Chief's his way onto the island and sneaks in. I mean, arrives unnoticed and also has rope in hand. And so we kind of end the episode as the audience being like, what's it going to do with that rope? Yeah, yeah. We see tall, blonde, and handsome walking onto the island with a rope. And that leads us into episode 55, uh, Encha Chased to Penguin Village. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, I think... I shouldn't be so down on it because I'm sure there are tons of people who are big Toriyama fans. And mind you, this is the first time this sort of thing has happened. For those of you who don't know, Penguin Village is a reference to uh, one of Toriyama's other works. Dr. Slump. Dr. Slump, that's right. And so this is kind of the tipping the hand of we're getting a little bit of a crossover here. Yeah. And while... I consider myself a huge Dragon Ball fan. I never really got into Dr. Slump, and I think it's pretty similar for you as well, right, Dayton? Yeah, well, I, I've never really looked into it, but I guess the couple crossovers I've seen in Dragon Ball now really haven't motiva motivated me to look into it. I think the big thing with me is that I think there are clever ways you could have crossover characters but the way that they do it in Dragon Ball, it is so in your face. It is so jarring to just have this other world just thrust into your your vision. And I think that's where my frustration kind of comes in. Yeah, I very much agree. I think I have some more opinions about it, too. I think I want to cover the episodes first and then talk yeah. about it a little bit more. Um, but but yeah, I I think... We're in episode 55. You got it. And the gang is kind of deciding to take a moment to relax and discuss their plans. But while they're discussing, General Blue begins his plot to take down our heroes. Using his psychic powers, which at this point, this is when I realized that he's got psychic powers more than just the paralyzation technique. That kind of blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, me too. And I mean, it's cool. I'm glad that he has psychic powers and it's fun to see him use them in a different way. I just... That's not what I thought that he was using. Yep. I thought it was just a specific technique, but no, he's just got psychic powers. He animates several lengths of rope and these little rope pieces turn blue and sneak into Kame house and wrap up all of our heroes, leaving them helpless on the floor. And this technique is powerful, man. He, he captures Krillin, Goku, Balma and Roshi. And they are, unable to get out of these binds. I mean, part of the reason for Goku is the fact that his tail gets wrapped up as well. So he is basically sapped of strength. Yeah. And I thought, honestly, I thought this was kind of cool. 
I thought it was really neat to see, I guess, the Red Ribbon kind of almost like getting a win right here. Like they did actually defeat like the party because we've had a couple of moments where it seems like that, but just nope, Goku's got something up his sleeve or something like that. But General Blue reveals himself and our heroes are forced to kind of just helplessly watch as he rummages through Kame House and eventually comes across all of their Dragon Balls. And not only does he steal the Dragon Balls, he leaves them, well, at this point, the patented Dragon Ball timed bomb that they have to deal with. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of becoming a running gag at this point. <laughs> but Blue leaves with three balls and they've got five minutes to figure out how to get out of this situation. And so with Blue leaving in a plane, eventually, I mean, our characters try a number of things. Goku can't get out because of his tail. Master Roshi tries something and ends up slipping out a fart. That was funny. Uh, <laughs> um, what I think he was trying to do is I think he was trying to like disconnect the joints in his hand or whatever and slide his hand out. That's what it kind of looked like to me. I thought that's what he was going to do, and then he just kind of failed to do so. And uh, he's just too yeah, old. Yeah. He would have just his hand would have turned to dust. <laughs> I mean, when you're three hundred something years old, man, like, you got to be <laughs> careful with that body. You're right, and yeah. So all of our heroes, Krillin, Goku, Master Roshi, are unable to break their bindings, and we get at this point a much kinder, nicer launch returning on her red ribbon plane kind of happening upon our heroes worming around on the floor, wondering if they're playing some sort of new party game. Yeah, and Launch is just taking her sweet time. They've got about 60 seconds before this bomb goes off. She goes to grab the bomb, and apparently it's heavy to her. I don't really know why. I don't know but, either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they yell at her to just cut Goku free, and she uses a dull knife that just barely gets through the rope in time. Goku grabbing the bomb and launching it through the window as it explodes outside Kamei House. Yeah, and at this point, there's really no time lost. Goku immediately jumps on his magic flying Nimbus and begins his pursuit of General Blue. And we get the scene where General Blue is just kind of taking it easy in his plane. He's got like a cup of tea or something like that, just having a good time, having, having some him time that he's deserved at this point. And this is where his, I guess, radar on his plane picks up Goku in a hot pursuit. And this is where we get, uh, I, guess, I guess, basically a chase scene where Goku's pursuing General Blue's plane on his Nimbus. And we get this kind of crazy racing going through the atmosphere shots of them just going insanely fast. Yeah, and... Uh, the way I worded this in my notes is that they travel so fast, they warp into another universe. I'm not sure if that's honestly true or not. We don't really get an explanation <laughs> as to how they get to Penguin Village, if it exists in the same world. But they end up in Penguin Village, and this begins our crossover into the Dr. Slump universe. Yes, and Penguin Village, it has like comical talking animals, a smiling talking sun, and poop people it's poop people yeah it, it's kind of jarring <laughs> i i think we even get dr slump himself breaking the fourth wall as he's kind of talking about how he's on tv and whatnot and we get to see 
a familiar face, or at least for those who are Dr. Slump fans in Irale, and I think they they might pronounce it a little bit differently, but uh, we get to see Blue, his ship eventually goes out of control, overheating. Uh, however, he still manages to dodge Goku's power pole here, and he kind of slows the ship down as Goku approaches the rear of the ship and then blasts Goku with the jet as Blue takes off away from Goku, knocking Goku off of his Nimbus, but also not paying attention to his own surroundings and crashing his plane directly into a mountain. Yeah, so we get Goku kind of falling to the ground and we get uh, General Blue, I almost said Grievous again, crashing into the side of a mountain. And yeah, so everybody's on on Penguin Island. Yeah, and really the audience is kind of left with the question of who the heck are all these weird people if you are not <laughs> a Dr. Slump fan? But I think that pretty much leads us into the next episode. Um, Let's see here. Oh, man, I should have figured out how to pronounce some of this stuff before we started. Um, Uhohoi uh, Arali Boards the Cloud. And so this is episode 56, and <clears throat> I'm going to go ahead and just give the, the quick rundown, and then you can fill in the gaps if you'd like. Um, yeah, I'm down. So we get Goku and Arale introducing themselves to each other, and this is definitely a fan service I guess, story arc or episode. Um, but yeah, uh, Blue is okay after crashing his plane into the side of a mountain, and... He decides to flee the crash site with the Dragon Ball. He steals a car, decides that some kid is his long-lost brother, um, gets handcuffed by the cops, and then beats them up, steals their car, and then crashes that car. And also, the Dragon Radar is broken again and needs fixed. I mean, that's that's most of it. The, the detail with Blue's brother is a little bit weird. Like, it kind of comes out of nowhere, and you're like, okay, is this point going to be relevant? It's not. It, he was gonna kiss that kid that was weird it was kind of weird <laughs> apparently that was obacha man for any dr slump fans out there let me check here uh, basically blue is terrorizing some of the penguin villagers uh oh yeah, yeah he steals the car from i think super sour man or something like that yeah sour man sour okay man who eats prunes and he becomes a superhero. I, I don't know. There you go. But I'm yeah. okay with going to the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> so pretty much it's just kind of running around shenanigans. Nothing really of importance happens. No. Um, but that leads us into episode 57, which is Showdown, Arale versus Blue. And we see Goku and Arale enjoying some food at the... They called it the Doctor's, but it seems like he's a mechanic, but... I think that's because if I remember correctly, Arale is like a robot girl. So she right. would perceive him that way. Uh, I'm putting this stuff together as I'm watching it. But anyway, this doctor slash mechanic is supposedly going to fix Goku's dragon radar. And we uh, get to see that the mechanic doesn't really know how it works, but the flying floating psychic baby does and the psychic flying baby fixes it. Yeah, the... The doctor is, I mean, his name is Senbei Noramaki. This is Dr. Slump, and the baby is his son. I could, I mean, that's what they're telling us in this show anyway. I don't know the details about Dr. Slump <laughs> either, so I could be getting this information wrong. 
but the dub is that's what the dub has told us thus far basically dr slump can't fix the radar and his son uses magic to do so yep so the radar is fixed again neat um and when goku i guess turns it on he finds out that the dragon balls he's pursuing are at the house that he's currently at and what we find out is general blue has been looking for an airplane to get off the island and the only airplane he knew about was dr slump's airplane and so he was attempting to seal steal it but goku more or less was thwarting his efforts and after they play some hide and seek they do eventually encounter each other and blue takes Arale at knife point and threatens to kill her unless he gets the plane and off the island yeah and i mean dr slump is telling blue hey this is a this is a bad idea you taking Arale is not a good idea and blue's not not catching on until Arale licks the knife unafraid entirely <laughs> just ru- ruining the mood here for blue well for so some blue- people <laughs> so blue decides well you know she's not a good hostage and he uses his psychic technique to paralyze goku once more yeah and at this point it's goku's on the ground helpless and blue actually steps in to kind of finish goku off with a tree that he decided to karate chop into a giant spear thing and yeah um right before the final blow can be struck arali is told that she it should play tag with the bad man and we get this kind of comical knocking blue into the distance and then team rocketing blasting him off again yeah he gets fucking donkey kicked by arali <laughs> man he gets launched. I I kind of like the little instance of like telling Arale, hey, go play tag with that guy. It's kind of funny and goofy. And it also reminds me of Majin Buu a little bit, because that's usually what they have to tell Buu to do when he has to fight people. I will say there there really is only one big takeaway, and it's at the end of this episode. Um General Blue, while defeated, still managed to get away with the dragon radar. And so he is now in possession of Goku's dragon radar. Now, Goku gets a new one from Psychic Baby, who builds a new one out of a plane. Um, but yeah, but now both of them have uh, dragon radars. But that's a big deal, because up till this point, the Red Ribbon Army has had a lot of difficulty pinpointing the exact location of the dragon radar, or of the Dragon Balls, due to the limitations of their radar. Yeah. Yeah, so this could be kind of devastating for Goku, or at the very least, it's going to make it much easier for the Red Ribbon Army to locate the Dragon Balls. And And, uh, my favorite part about uh, the whole Penguin Village stuff, did you hear whose voice Dr. Slump's was? You know, I recognized a number of voices and I was having a hard time pinning them down while I was taking notes, but I don't quite remember. I am 99% sure it's the the narrator for the show. Oh, oh, you might be right. Because I was kind of listening to it and I was just like, hold on, I know this voice. And I was like, yeah, you're narrator guy. I write down some of your stuff sometimes. Hell yeah, narrator guy. <laughs> I should probably figure out his name because I love that guy. Yeah, he's fantastic. I don't know his name off the top of my head. I'm also curious if he's how long he's been doing it for Dragon Ball in general. Like, how long have they kept the same guy? 
I feel like it's changed in Super at some point, but I, I, I'm forgetting the details about that. Yeah, I'm just curious. Like, how long did they keep the same guy? Because they, I mean, they've shown that they'll keep voice acting people on for a long time. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of the voices get carried over from the original Dragon Ball into Dragon Ball Z and into Super. So that's, I mean, that's great. That's super cool. But yeah, I th- uh, Goku has his Dragon Balls back. He has a Baby Forge dr- Dragon Radar back in his hand. So at this point, he jumps on the Nimbus and back off he goes to Kame House. I also just have a note here. Not important whatsoever. <laughs> but that there are... There is a battle between the police and alien pirates in this episode. Oh, God, I forgot about that. I tried to, <laughs> but I took notes because I was like, what? What the? What is going on? I mean, it's just I, Dragon Ball's weird, right? And, you know, Toriyama has a certain sense of humor, but it is just so over the top with this Penguin Village stuff. So this is why I wanted to go over the episodes first, because Dragon Ball to me butts right up against the edge of my tolerance for weird, wacky shit. Mm-hmm. And I I love Dragon Ball for that, but it, it, sometimes the original Dragon Ball is really stretching my limits. Dr. Slump is so far above and beyond my <laughs> limits it, for it, wacky It blows bullshit. right past him, huh? <laughs> yeah. it's I, I just can't do it. I'm like, no, no, that's... Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you're right, because with Dragon Ball, sometimes they just... They, they need to let the joke die sometimes in Dragon Ball. It's like, I get it, Roshi's pervy. We don't need 10 minutes of it this episode. Yeah, there was literally an episode with 10 minutes of it, which was, Ugh. again, ridiculous. But I, it was fine. Like, the second half of that episode was great. So, you know, sometimes you take the good with the bad. But the Dr. Slump stuff is just too much bad for me. <laughs> I mean, you could do like a little cameo, like when Goku's going through the city looking for Balma's house, have him stop a rally and ask her for directions sort of thing. Like, that would be great. And if you're a Dr. Slump fan, cool, you get the cameo and it's awesome. But if you're not a yeah. Dr. Slump fan, you're not spending three episodes in Penguin Village wondering what the hell is going on. Yeah, I agree. It's it's just too much. It's too in your face, I think, is the way that you described it. Mm-hmm. and. In addition to that, I mean, that's that was the last episode that we're covering tonight. This kind of wraps up General Blue's arc. I think we're going to get to see him in the very next episode briefly, but it's kind of a bummer. Like, it's kind of an anticlimactic way to end what is otherwise a pretty dang cool villain. I mean, I will say of the generals, he's definitely my favorite. Um, Actually, of the villains that I think Goku's had to face up till this point. He might be my favorite, like just as far as raw villains go. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. I, I think, as far as fights go, uh, I yeah. might have liked the pirate robot better. I don't know, but the pirate robot, in terms of like an actual villain, General Blue's got all of the other villains that we've seen so far blown out of the water for characterization, uh, just story and interesting powers like pretty much everything he's he's got on lockdown at this point in dragon ball for villains and it's one of those things too where we we criticize super because it felt like there's no gravity to the situation like the you didn't feel like anything bad could happen whereas with general blue he's just like executing people and you're like okay like maybe this could go bad 
And, you know, if we weren't people from the future, maybe we would be a little bit more worried about Krillin or Bulma or something like that. Like, it, it might have a whole different feeling to it if we don't already know that everyone makes it out, right? Yeah, and that's a good point. I mean, obviously, we're watching this, you know, decades after its release when there's so much more content released beyond this point. But it, I think for people who would be watching this for the first time without the other content available to them. I mean, you, you see a lot of the, the guns treated as jokes, but you see general blue either execute people himself with guns or command people to be executed with guns. So when he holds Goku at gunpoint, he means business. You you want your villain to, to have command to command respect. Actually, you want to think that the bad guy's actually going to do some bad things that the good guys could lose or something bad could happen. And at every moment they could, they made sure to remind you that General Blue is selfish, General Blue is cruel, and General Blue will do whatever it takes to get the job done. Yeah, I and I mean, it's this is only, you know, what, 15 episodes maybe that we're covering, and they they express all of that to the audience in a fairly short amount of time which is, I mean, it's good. It's well done. It's it's some of the better villain characterization that I've seen. I, in my mind, I'm thinking of when we get characterization for Frieza, which goes on for, you know, dozens of episodes. But this is like a condensed little chunk of something like that. And, you know, I probably should comment on the voice acting for General Blue because we spent so much time with him and he was a main villain. Um, it's interesting because his tone sometimes is very almost like comical the way he's like laughing at himself and he's kind of goofy sometimes yeah actually there were moments where his voice reminded me of james from pokemon yeah a little <laughs> bit actually now that you say that i didn't make that connection just but... a little bit but it, i would normally criticize something like that but because of what dragon ball is i didn't i didn't completely dislike it it was it was not bad i did actually get into it at times too I totally agree. I I kind of had similar thoughts about it where I was like, this is his, the voice acting for that character feels a little bit dramatic or over the top, but it fits perfectly into the tone for Dragon Ball. So I didn't, it didn't feel out of place for me at all. It didn't take me out of the show. You mean like Ahoy or Yar? Oh my god, I fucking love that so much. <laughs> okay, so 10 out of 10, best character in Dragon Ball, Robot Pirate. Robot Pirate, the <laughs> best character. Anybody who hasn't seen Robot Pirate, go watch that episode. Oh, it's the freaking best. I want to cosplay I... as that guy. <laughs> I do have to point out, too, that that Robot Pirate is still popular as he makes his way into the Dragon Ball Z Kakarot video game as basically <laughs> all of the minions that you beat up as you fly through the world. Oh my God, I'm going to become a world champion. <laughs> That's so amazing. Oh yeah, my I God. Love it. <laughs> okay, so Robot Pirate's amazing and Goku leaving the Easter Bunny on the moon is amazing. We've, we've got some stories to tell after watching Dragon Ball. Yeah, yeah, man. Like, you don't, I mean, I love Dragon Ball Z, but you don't come away from Dragon Ball Z with stories like that. <laughs> oh, God, no. It's so out there. And sometimes they do something like that where you're just like, did that really just happen? <laughs> you have two balls that you're keeping secret. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
I was trying to just push that out of my head, but that's going to be an... I'm pissed off about what I forgot, so that way that could be remembered. Thanks. I'll never let you forget. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> we'll shiver me timbers. <laughs> but yeah, in general, I mean, we're this is basically the second chunk of the Red Ribbon Army arc. I think we'll be covering the third and last one next time. But I overall liked this one. We we kind of put the three Hasky kind of filler arc episodes at the beginning of this chunk and then the last two two and a half episodes are this wacky dr slump cameo combination thing and so i don't really like how we started this chunk and i don't really like how we ended it unfortunately but all the stuff in the middle with the robot pirate and with general blue attacking our heroes phenomenal it's actually so. very good it was a very fun watch and it was one of those ones where gosh i couldn't wait to turn on the next episode because i was enjoying it so much yeah yeah i felt the same i the animation was usually good the the action was fun we got a lot of stuff in here that we we up to this point in dragon ball haven't seen before like i mean just roshi being a badass and against a bunch of you know enemies uh, Krillin and Goku teaming up against an enemy. It's it has a lot going for it in these chunk of episodes. So I really enjoyed it. And it feels like an adventure too, right? Like we mm-hmm. go deep out into the ocean and dive into a underwater pirate base and find a robot and have to make an explosive exit through collapsing tunnels. It's, I mean, it's all the stuff that good books and movies are made of. It's it's a lot of fun. It hits all the right notes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm sure that media past Dragon Ball, anything that was created after it, not not everything, but I'm sure that there is media that has taken from Dragon Ball and like these types of stories and used that to tell their own stories. Yeah. And I will say, I guess after Dragon Ball Z, it almost felt like like we didn't go to very many interesting places after that. And so it's almost kind of refreshing after having, gosh, how many years of just kind of fighting people on earth in the same kind of environments. Like, cool. Let's go underwater. Let's go into an underground pirate cave. That's awesome. Or let's go fight in the mushroom forest or this desert or just all these other kind of crazy weird places. And I like that Toriyama takes liberties too. It's not just the ocean. It's a pirate's cave in the ocean. It's not, just a forest it's a mushroom forest it's you know there's always that little bit of a flare or a twist on it that just makes it that much more interesting yeah that's a good point and that is that is something that we lose a lot of in dragon ball z which is kind of funny because dragon ball z takes us to outer space for the first time and i mean as much as i love the frieza saga let's be real Planet Namek has almost nothing going for it <laughs> <laughs> uh, you have one culture there that's not very varied <laughs> i mean they have one gender they don't procreate norm normally they don't eat food they only drink water and they might eat cabbage i think they have some cabbage but <laughs> how do you think i got so fat <laughs> and they've got blue grass and water and white hut homes that's all they have on planet namek there's there's not much there yeah i mean it felt cool going somewhere else and meeting an alien people but they 
there wasn't much beyond that, right? And I will right. say they did take time to make space feel treacherous, which I did enjoy. That's a good point. The Frieza saga does a very good job of that. Uh, even like how long it takes to get places and just feeling dangerous, uh, even the, the creatures that they run into and everything. Yeah, but after, I guess, one season of space travel takes a while, they're like, ah, we're done with that. And we're teleporting now. <laughs> Instant transmission everywhere. <laughs> But yeah, we're getting off on a Dragon Ball Z tangent here. This happens I, a lot. Actually, when we finish up episodes, we usually sit around and do this for a while. And then I don't know. I guess when we talk about Dragon Ball for hours, we need to talk about it a little bit more before we're done. I just can't can't get enough. I can't get enough. <laughs> but I, I think I think both of us, for the most part, enjoyed this one. The The start and the finish were a little bit weak, but the overall feel for this one is very good in my opinion mm -hmm. yep just throw away the buns and just eat the meat that's right give us the meat that's all we want <laughs> show me them dragon balls <laughs> but dayton did you have anything else you wanted to discuss or does that kind of wrap things up for this one? i think it wraps things up pretty darn well i really did enjoy the meat of this this story arc so i'm very happy yeah yeah me too i'm excited to jump forward to the next one but for tonight that's it for this episode of Instant Transmission, where we discuss everything Dragon Ball. This has been your host, Todd. And Dayton. Be sure to join us next time as the Red Ribbon Army's story comes to a close. I mean, technically they'll be in the new movie coming up, but you know what I mean. We'll follow Goku as he finds himself up against a ruthless assassin, Mercenary Tao, and finally confronts Commander Red. And why does Commander Red want the Dragon Balls? Will Goku get his hands on the four-star ball? Can you really kill a man with your tongue? Find out a next time. And to all our fellow Dragon Ball fans, stay safe out there and remember to keep rocking the dragon. Bro, we never talked about the Canadian cop. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about there, eh? <laughs> well, going kind of fast there, eh?